Good morning. I want to uh, draw your attention today to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Romans, Romans chapter 13. We're going to be there today. Um, we are going to take a, a, a break. We're still taking a break from Philippians. I promise, I promise you that we are going to um, try to finish up our Philippians series, um, if not in the next couple of weeks, um, within a year or so, um, we'll finish up uh, our, our time through that wonderful letter we've been looking at, the Gospel of Joy, Philippians, all um, fall um, since the beginning of September. And we took a little bit of a break the last couple of days to talk about, uh, or last couple of weeks to talk about Leaders in the church, what are biblical leaders, what are elders, what are deacons? Uh, I thought it was a timely message, not just for us as a church, as we pray through and prepare to, to have a vote of confirmation for our elders and deacons for 2017, but also there have been some pretty significant things going on in our country this past week or so, haven't there? Right? Um, talking about leaders, thinking about leaders, voting on leaders, um, what does the Bible have to say about that? What can, how can a Christian respond? What is a gospel response to the election that just took place? Uh, some responses that, um, that you are probably aware of um, are, are like this. Um, in fact, um, this, this Wednesday, or Thursday, sorry, Thursday afternoon, I was, I was looking at Twitter. Careful about social media. I don't know if you're on social media, but if you were on it this week, then I'm praying for you. Um, and I'm praying for myself, too. But I looked at Twitter, and I, and I looked at the, the trending topics, the things that people were talking about during the week. Um, here are two of them that were in the top ten. America elects a bigot. That was one of the trending topics. Another trending topic was, die, whites, die. It was literally a U.S. or maybe even a worldwide trending topic on Thursday afternoon of this week. And then, if you look at the top ten political uh, trends on Facebook, you found this hashtag, not my president. So that's, that's one way to respond to an election. And, it, and maybe that's a way you, that people respond now. Uh, maybe it was a way people responded in 2012 or 2008. Or, or it could be that people have always responded that way. They've always felt that way. They've always felt like, my guy won or my guy lost. My woman won, my woman lost, whatever it is. How should we respond if we're in Christ? How should Christians respond to something like this? Something that has really upset our nation and the people in it. Well, let's look at a passage here in Romans chapter 13 where I, I think we will find some, some really key answers to this problem. And I hope and I pray by God's grace that we'll walk out of here today with a heart that's more like Jesus, with an understanding of who we are based on the gospel that, that has changed us and transformed us. And we will be the witnesses that the world needs. So, would you read with me? Romans chapter 13. We're going to read all 
uh, 14 verses of this chapter. It's a relatively short chapter in Romans, but follow along with me as I read it aloud. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us today. And now I ask that you will allow us to humbly hear it and to accept it as your word to us. Help us to understand it, not just the meaning of the words or the, the context of the uh, original hearers and the writer of uh, Paul himself, but that we'll understand what it means for us today, that you'll give us um, a clear understanding of how we are to walk and live according to what we have just read and what we will hear in more detail in a moment. And God, give us the power to walk faithfully in it, to obey, to do what it is that you're calling us to do today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel causes us to respond differently. The gospel causes us to respond differently. When there's an election when there's a national tragedy, when there is even a national victory. The gospel causes us to respond differently. Not in the way of the world, not in the way everybody else around us is responding, not in the, the woe is me, or not in the ha ha, we won, you lost kind of attitude. 
The gospel causes us to respond differently. Paul is writing here in Romans chapter 13. He's been writing a beautiful and wonderful exposition of the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And he started back in Romans 1 and he, and he wrote all the way up until the end of Romans 11 describing how wonderful God's grace was. How amazing His mercy was. How through faith in Him and only through faith in Jesus can we be saved from our sins, from, our, from the, the metaphysical, the spiritual the, uh, bondness and, and, uh, and uh, uh, slavery that we're in because of our sins. And then, in Romans 12, he, he shifts to some practical applications. He says, because of this, because of all of this stuff, what we ought to do, what we need to do, what we must do, what you're commanded to do, is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. Then he describes what that is. And he talks about unity. He talks about oneness in the body of Christ. He talks about love. He talks about blessing those who persecute you, blessing them and not cursing them. Then he comes to chapter 13 and he says, let's apply this to our situation. Let's apply this to your situation, you believers who live in Rome. Who, live in, who lived in Rome and probably received this, this letter in the late 50s A.D. They, they received this letter in the context of Roman emperors who lived for their own deification, who lived to see their own power increased, to see the empire expand, They lived to subject others to themselves. And they were not all that good. They were not all that moral. In fact, they were pretty awful people. They treated people poorly. They they were willing to, and at that time the emperor had the sword, the uh, he's, which Paul mentions in verse 4, the sword uh, which symbolizes his ability to punish, his ability to even put to death. And we know the Romans were really good at putting people to death. They had devised crucifixion, in fact, to do that. So here is, here is an emperor that they were serving. Here were governors that they were serving that were wicked people. They didn't honor God. They didn't believe in Him. Um, they, had no, they had no concern for Christians or for the church. And Paul comes to them and he says to them, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. He mentions the authorities three times in these first few verses. And then in verse 3, he talks about them and uses a slightly different term, and he calls them the rulers. See, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, right? He's calling the church in Rome, who lived under a wicked ruler, to submit, to honor, to respect, to pay taxes, and to pay revenue. He... He, he, he urged them not to resist. Don't resist the authority. In other words, don't oppose. Don't be in opposition to the one who's in authority. Otherwise, that opposition's going to end up uh, uh, causing uh, or incurring judgment. 
He says, they must, you must be in subjection. You must pay everything that you owe to them. Your obligations as a citizen. Well, he says that we ought to treat human authorities differently, that we ought to respect differently. But he says this for a, a, a primary reason. And that is that there is a higher authority. That God is the ultimate authority. Since God is the ultimate authority, Christians respect differently. They respect that authority differently. Look what he says in verse 1. There is no authority except from God. <laughs> then on the very next phrase, those that exist, those authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. How can that be? How can a wicked ruler, a wicked emperor, or a governor, or a, or a senator, or, or a representative, or even a president, be an authority that is instituted by God? The uh, history of God's people is one of having all kinds of rulers and authorities over them. All we have to do is go back to the Old Testament and you see that, that when Israel was in Egypt, they were under the authority of a wicked ruler. Now, God brought them out of Egypt. God, God judged that r ruler, but not until they had been uh, under his authority for more than 400 years. Then, we see Israel going along and having kings. And they have good kings and they have bad kings. Mostly they have bad kings. And they were in subjection to those bad kings. But they were there ruling by the authority of God. They had been instituted to rule by God. And the people often wondered, why do we have a bad king? Why do we have bad rulers? Why do we have bad authorities? And then we get to the time of the exile when the wickedness of Israel's people had gotten so bad that God had no choice but to judge the people, remove them from the land, and put them over foreign kings. And they had rulers like Nebuchadnezzar, who was a, very, who was a wicked man ruling in Babylon. And later on they had other rulers, a, a, a ruler named Cyrus. And all of these rulers, whether they were Babylonian or whether they were Persian, were wicked men set on dominating their, their world, set on, on ex exercising their power. And at one point, God says through the prophet Isaiah, this is my servant Cyrus. This is my anointed one. Using the very word that is reserved for the Messiah. He's saying, God is saying, you don't, you don't get to choose. You don't get to, to decide whether your ruler is going to be wicked or whether it's, he's going to be righteous. Well, we live in a democracy, right, where we get to choose. But half of the people didn't choose. So half of the people are going to be disappointed, right? Half of the people are going to be, we didn't choose this. Hashtag not my president, right? But Paul's point to the Romans and, the, and his point to all of us is that he is in authority, that God is in authority. 
And so what does it mean for us? Why, how can we be subject to these authorities? How can we avoid resisting or opposing them? Uh, how can we see them as God's servants? Even when they don't, they don't see themselves as God's servants. Well, they, they are accountable to a higher authority, whether they admit it or not, whether they accept it or not. If, if indeed, there is no authority except from God and, that, and those that exist have been instituted by God, then it follows that they are subject to God's ultimate authority. They may not admit it, and they may not act like it, but one day, they too will be judged. Every king, every president, every governor, every prime minister will be judged by a holy God. Therefore, we can be citizens who submit. Because we don't have to worry about uh, whether or not this this king is good or right, whether or not this president is righteous or not, we can be good citizens that are submitting to, that are respecting and honoring differently than the rest of our people because we know God has it covered. Look what he says he wants us to do. Look with me at verse 3. He says, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Well, we may, not, we may not always see, hey there, we may not always receive the approval of our rulers just for doing what is good. In fact, Peter, in his, in his letter, 1 Peter, says, do what is good anyway, even if they don't receive it, even if they don't accept it. And then Jesus himself said, Blessed are you if you do what is good but are punished for it. You're blessed for that. If you're doing what is right and you're doing what is good and you are punished for that, that's, you receive a blessing. It's no, it's no blessing to you. It's no credit to you. If you're doing what is bad, if you're showing disrespect, if you're showing dishonor, and you get in trouble for it. There's no credit there for you. There's no honor there for you. There's no blessing there for you. What is it? What would it be to do what is good? Well, uh, Paul gets specific near the end of this of this section in verse seven when he says, "Pay all, pay to all what is owed to them," and he talks about taxes and he talks about revenue and he talks about respect and honor. And if you thought the tax system in our country was kind of messed up, and you wish it was different. Um, imagine living in a time where uh, essentially you could bring, bring home 5 to 10% of what you earned. <laughs> and the rest of it would be taken up to serve the empire. And, uh, and that doesn't sound like a really good deal, um, but oftentimes that's how it went. And Paul's saying, pay the taxes Pay the taxes that are owed to you. Pay the revenue that is owed to you. Jesus said, it the, same th- said the same thing. When the, uh, the Pharisees got together with the Herodians, the, so the, the religious right got together with the liberal left, 
And they, get, and they came together to challenge Jesus and say, is it right to pay taxes or not? One way or the other, they were going to get them. One way or another, you know, one, one of the groups was going to be happy, right? Well, Jesus challenged them both. Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and pay to God what is God's. In order to honor God and in order to honor his authority, we honor the authorities that he places below him and above us. In order to honor God and, 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 and show that we trust God, show that we believe God, show that, that God is higher, God is bigger than our country, bigger than our president, that, he's our, that God is our true king, we do what he asks us to do. We obey him. We pay the taxes that are owed. We give the respect and the honor that is owed, whether or not we think that person is deserving. But there's one other thing, and, and it's, it's related to this. It's, it's not found in, in this passage directly, but Paul says in another place, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, he says this, um, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. This is what is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The connection there of what is good, he said, Paul says in Romans 13, do what is good. And in 1 Timothy 2, verses 2, 3, and 4, he says, this is good, to pray for them. To pray for your rulers. To pray for the authorities. To do it. Why? Our witness is on the line for one thing. We pray for them, we pray for them that they will, they will rule wisely, that they will make good decisions, that they will do what is right so that we can live a pleasing life, that we can live a quiet life, that we can continue to be, have the freedoms we have today to gather in the places we gather, to worship and to witness, to bear witness to the grace of God in our life through Jesus Christ. That is good. That is a good thing. Will we do it? Have we done it? <laughs> Have we done it? I know plenty of brothers and sisters in Christ who, have, who are calling on our nation to pray for our president-elect. But I wonder, I, I, I strongly question whether they've been doing the same thing for the last eight years. Perhaps we need to repent. Perhaps we need to repent of our lack of respect, lack of honor to our leaders. And then strive by God's grace to show the respect and the honor and to be in prayer for the leaders we will soon have. This is... This is actually not that hard. <laughs> this is something we could easily do. This is something every one of us can do. 
may, may be that we have to humble ourselves or suck it up a little bit and do it. But look where Paul takes us next. Because he sort of raises the ante a little bit here. He, uh, he, he, he increases the challenge. He does that in the next few verses. And this is basically what he says. He says that since God is the ultimate love, Christians love differently. Christians love differently. He says in verse 8, Owe no one anything. Well, didn't he just say that, oh, if you owe taxes, pay, you pay revenue to, you know, to whom revenue is owed and respect and honor to whom respect and honor is owed? And now he says, owe no one anything except to love each other? What is he saying? Because on the surface, as I was thinking about that, I thought, Oh, he just totally he changed course. He said, no, forget those things and just love. As long as you love, you'll be, you'll be good. Don't worry about the respect and the honor. Don't worry about paying taxes or doing the right thing. Just love. Well, a lot of people uh, are preaching a message like that. Well, just love. But what does that mean? What, would it, what does it mean to love? He says it right here. And, <laughs> since he wrote this, right after he said these things about authorities and rulers and what is owed to them, what he's saying is that if you love, you will fulfill the law of paying taxes. You will fulfill the law of paying revenue and paying respect and paying honor. He's saying that love is the fulfillment of these things. And look what he says in verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, he gets more specific, because Paul loves to talk about the law, and almost always when he's talking about the law, he's talking about the commandments, uh, what is in the Old Testament, the things that God said we are to do. And so he, he lists some commandments. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. So he mentions four of the commandments. Um, if, you're, if you're keeping track, he mentions, I think, six, um, seven, eight, and then ten. Um, there's, there's a few missing, right? So he says, mm, and any other commandment. Maybe he's dictating this letter. Somebody's writing it down, and he he starts. He's he gets into these one commandments because he's really you know those are in his mind, and he goes, um, "I'm drawing a blank. Any other commandment? Yeah, okay, just put that in there. If there are any other commandments, they're summed up in this law or in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's a gr- that should sound familiar. Does that sound familiar? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, that, was, that came much later. That, that came when, uh, or was, was recorded in Leviticus. Um, God said that in a different context than of the Ten Commandments. But the, the, the command to love your neighbor as yourself is a fulfillment of the law. Uh, uh, Paul states it right here in verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. He's just repeating what Jesus has already taught us. Do you remember? 
When they asked him again, they tried to trick him. They tried to, they're trying to pry into him. They're trying to get him to say something he shouldn't say. And, and so they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? Well, the greatest commandment is the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus adds another. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On, on these two commands hang all of the law and the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament is on these two commands. Love for God and love for others. The, the commands that God gave us, the commands that God gave us are an expression of His ultimate love for us. That's why it's stated like that. God is the ultimate love. God is the ultimate love because He revealed Himself through His commandments. He revealed Himself. He said, look, this is what is right. This is what is good. These uh, commandments are, are an extension of my character, of my holiness, of my goodness, of my mercy and my grace. And I want them for you. And for you to obey these commandments is to be my people, marked by my love for you. The Apostle John made it very clear when he said this, we love because He first loved us. We don't love because it's the right thing to do. We love because there's love in us. Love that we have received. The ultimate love is God Himself. And if we have received God, we can love. There are two ways that we love. Two groups of people that we love. Look at verse 8 with me one more time. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Uh, oftentimes, and most often, that, that phrase is translated as one another in the, in the New Testament. One another. Jesus said to love one another in John 13, 34, and 35. The, the term uh, one another occurs many times in the Gospel of John, many times in John's letter as well, and, and elsewhere in the New Testament. And that's a love for the people that you belong to. When we talk about loving one another, we're talking about you all. <laughs> loving the people of God, loving the people in your community, loving your, the people in your neighborhood, loving your church, Right? But then he says this, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What is that word? It looks like the same word. It's another. But the word means something very different. And I use the word different because that's what it means. It means another that is different. It actually, the, the original word is the, the word that that we prefix to all kinds of other things, hetero. Hetero. That means different. Heteros is the word itself. For the one who loves someone different has fulfilled the law. Who is this different person? And how is that a fulfillment of this law? What, is there a connection to that? Is, is, is that good? I mean, is that right for me to interpret, to interpret it that way? I think so. 
And here's one reason. Because he talks about loving your neighbor. He talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And to love your neighbor as yourself um, was, was explained very clearly by Jesus when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story. You know the story. There's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, there's a man going down from Seattle to Spokane. And he gets run off the road. And he gets, he gets in a terrible uh, accident. And the people who run him off the road stop. And they come, off, come back over to him. And they fire uh, a gun at him. They shoot at him. And, and they rummage through his stuff. And they steal all of his valuables, his laptop and his, his CDs. Um, he probably didn't have CDs. His MP3 player or whatever. And, uh, and they leave him to die. Well, before long, um, a senior pastor is traveling from Seattle to Spokane to go to the Northwest Baptist Convention. Right? He's going to the convention in Spokane and he drives by... And he goes, oh man, there's somebody in the ditch there. Oh my gosh, I see bullet holes. Oh my goodness, I see the, the trunk is open. And, and I see stuff strewn all over the place. And I, and I see the guy with his arm hanging out the window. And then he looked at his clock and he said, I've got to be at an executive board meeting by 11 a.m. in Spokane. I don't have time for this. And so he kept going. And so another, another person came by. And this was a deacon a deacon from a church in Seattle, and he drives by, and he sees the same thing, and he goes, oh no, that's terrible, oh my goodness. But he, go, he looks at his watch, and he goes, uh, but the layman's conference is about to start, and I don't want to miss the opening worship time. Um, I don't want to miss the, 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 the sermon, the first sermon of the day. I, I got I, I to keep going. Somebody else will surely stop and help him. Then a third person comes by. It's a couple, actually. And they're driving in a little Prius. And they have a bumper sticker on the back of their car that says, Coexist. And then they have another bumper sticker. Well, I mean, is it, or is that two? Oh, it, looks like, it looks like if you peeled off one of them, it would say, um, Bernie Sanders for president. But on top of it, kind of covering up, for the most part, covering it up, there's a, there's a, a, a Clinton um, cane sticker. And they see this person in the dish and they go, oh no. And they get out and they look at each other and they go, we need to help this guy out. And so this gay couple pulls the man out of the car and gets them in the back of their Prius. I don't know how they got him back there. It's pretty small. And they drove to Ellensburg, and they, they dropped him off at, at the uh, emergency room there in Ellensburg. And they said, we don't know what the deal is. He got all of his stuff stolen. He doesn't have ID on him. We don't know who he is. We don't know if he has insurance. But here's our card. Take care of him, and let us know if there's anything that we can do to meet his needs. And if he's got bills to pay, we'll pay it. That's the... That's the story that he told. Who was 
the neighbor? Who loved the people who were different than him? It was the people who were different. And, and we, we, we sit here in our comfort or on our smartphones or on our laptops and, and we look at what other people are doing and we look at what other people are saying and we're filled with, with ire and anger and we don't respect them and we want to lash out and we say, how dare you do this, how dare you do that? The people who are different from us, who vote differently, who think differently, who live differently from us, are no less uh, in need of love than we are ourselves. The fact of the matter is that God is the ultimate love, meaning He came to us. He loved us. We have nothing in common with Him. We are broken. We're sinful. We are in rebellion. The, the, the likeness that we have of God, our Creator, has been marred. And He came to us. He gave us commands. And He then came Himself to love us to death. Could it be that God is calling us to repent of the way we've treated other people, the way we've spoken of them and spoken to them? And He's saying, you need to make this right. You need to love people differently. And you need to love different people, too. The people who don't think like you or vote like you. Are we going to love them? That's, the, that's a gospel response to what's gone on this week. I believe it. And I've been convicted of it. And I'm repenting of it. Because my attitude has been harsh. Has been wrong. I haven't been happy about anything that's gone on. I mean, I'm not... I, it was all a crapshoot in my mind. But there are people who are different than me that need to be loved. That's how I should respond. That's how I should treat people. But Paul wasn't done. He wasn't done. He had more to say about this. And he had... More to say because loving and, and exhorting us to love is not enough. Because we don't have the ability to love as God loved. We just don't. We, can, we try to muster up good feelings about people who are different than you. Try it. You find it difficult? I do. What we need is for God to do something different in us. What we need is for God to give us new life. And that's what he says next. Since God is the ultimate life giver, Christians live differently. Christians live differently. He says this in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. He talks about salvation. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And he says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He begins immediately to talk about our situation. And for the Romans, uh, they must have been thinking in terms of... Uh, Okay, uh, we, we need to respect the governing authorities. Okay, that's tough. And, and then, oh great, he's calling us to love people who are different than us. How are we going to do that? And then he says, look, it's because the time is now. This is, the, the world has changed. 
And not just because a new a president has been elected. The world changed almost 2,000 years ago. When Jesus did what he did, he came and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And he died on the cross to remove, to take away our sins and to pay the punishment for our sins. And he was born, or he, he was raised, excuse me, again. He created something new. He brought with him something different. We call it a kingdom. He brought with him a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that has a true king, the kingdom that has an everlasting king. And when he talks about night and day, when he talks about darkness and light, he's talking about the old way of living in the world, living in the night, living in the darkness, um, sat- gratifying your own desires, Uh, Making provisions for the flesh, as he says. That's the way to walk in the dark. That's the way to walk in the world. And if you have friends or relatives who are not in Christ, who have not put their faith in Christ, who have not trusted Jesus as their Savior, you can expect nothing less than that they will gratify their own desires, that they will make provisions for their flesh, that they will walk in the works of darkness. That they will live like that. They will live differently. He says, though, that's the world, that's the kingdom of darkness. But the kingdom of the light, the kingdom of the day, the kingdom of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that kingdom, if we are walking properly in that kingdom, we are not going to be uh, engaging in Orgies and drunkenness, the term orgies, is like revelries. It's like, it's like drunken parties which, where all kinds of shenanigans take place. The, old, the uh, King James Version uses the term rioting. I thought that was appropriate for this week, but I won't, I'm not going to make a bigger point of that. Because what it was was a festival of happiness and everything is great and everything is wonderful and we can do whatever we want. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality, which was par for the course when it came to Greco-Roman practice. And he says, not in quarreling and jealousy. Let me take a moment to talk about quarreling. When you think you're right and everyone else is wrong and you want them to know it, That's quarreling. He says, that's the way the world lives. That's the way, that's that's living in the night. That's living in darkness. You you think you're right and everyone else is wrong and you're going to make sure that they know it. That's quarreling. That's living in the world. That's, That's the kingdom of darkness. Not the kingdom of light. Not the kingdom of God. He says, let us walk properly in verse 12. Or excuse me, verse 13. The numbers are very small in my Bible. Let us walk properly. We, found, we saw in Philippians a, a, several weeks ago where Paul said, what did he say? Only, that's it, let us live worthily of the gospel of Christ. We, we discovered that, that that term meant to act, actually live as citizens. Live as citizens. 
that we are to live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ, that our lives should be informed by the gospel. The gospel makes us respond differently. So to walk properly as in the daytime is to, to embrace the fact that we are citizens, but not citizens just of this earthly kingdom or this earthly country. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. We are His people. We belong to Him. And our, and our actions, our lives, should be different. Now, we should, be, we should, walk, we should walk with grace. Our, our, our attitudes, our, our lives should be marked by love for people who are different from us. Respect and honor to people whom we don't necessarily want to respect and honor. But it is God in us through Jesus Christ. And then he says it in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, God is the ultimate life giver. He's given us that life through Jesus Christ. And when, when, when Paul says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a really, it's a really difficult um, thing to translate into spiritual truths. Because it literally means to put on a garment. Or to put on the armor, which is what he says in verse 12. Put on the armor of light. And each of us can, can easily see that, Right? The idea of putting something on that protects you or to put on a, a garment to take off the old way and put on something new. And we see that and we go, okay, so that's kind of like, that's kind of like a, the, the makeover. The, the, the makeover show from about 10 years ago when, when they're like, we're going to give you this uh, extreme makeover and we're going to change your hair and your face and your, give you new clothing and, and we're going to teach you what not to wear, that type of thing, right? But they don't go far enough. None of those shows go far enough. Because what really needs to change is what's on the inside. What really needs to change for the people in our nation is for individuals to be changed by the good news of Jesus on the inside. That's what we need. And that's what he's calling the Romans to. And he's, now, he's talking to, he's talking to Christians. And he's saying, you need to live like this. You, you want to bigger about things. You're jealous because your, your guy didn't win the election. Or you're quarreling because other people are ridiculous. And you want them to know that. But he's telling them, put on Jesus Christ every day. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow me. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ when we go back to the gospel and we remind ourselves that we are not just citizens of the United States of America. We're citizens of God's kingdom. And I'm going to walk that way. I'm going to live that way. I'm going to love that way. I'm going to respect that way today. That's what he's calling us to. How can we respond to what's been going on in our country? We can respond with, with respect. We can respond with love. We have to, though, respond with the gospel. We have to embrace it for ourselves. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. We don't, we don't have to fear the red button. 
We don't have to fear the, the liberties that may or may not be taken away or given. We don't have to fear what's going to happen to our economy or what's going to happen to our religious freedoms. We have no fear because we don't belong to this earthly kingdom ultimately. We belong to God's kingdom. Presidents will come and presidents will go. Nations will rise and nations will fall. Our nation is an experiment. It's still, hot, it's still going on, but it's still an experiment. It's a long experiment, and I hope it lasts until Jesus comes again. But it is what it is. It's temporary, and God's kingdom is forever. We have a king. We have Jesus. Put him on every day through faith and belief in him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We, we give you grace. We, we give you glory. We, we, see, we see your goodness in the gospel. Uh, we see that you've come to a people. Uh, you came to a people then who were looking for an earthly kingdom, who were looking to be, to be relieved from the people who ruled over them, from their authorities. They were looking for, uh, looking to, to, to oppose, to resist their authorities. And they were hoping for a king, a Messiah, who would come and would do that for them. <coughs> Lord, we, we, and, we think the same way. We do. We, we put our trust in presidents and we put our trust in governors or, or, other, or representatives or senators or, or majorities or Supreme Court nominations when, when really our trust needs to be in you. God, give us new life through Jesus so we can put our faith and trust in you so we can be fully aware of our citizenship, which is in heaven, so that we can live and walk and love that way. The way you've called us to be, without any fear, without any anxiety or worry, without being stressed out about what's going on, we can be at perfect peace, the peace that you give us, because Jesus is in us. That's what we want. And that's what we want for our world. May we, may we represent you well in this world as we go out of here. May we live a life of repentance. May we make right the things that need to be made right. If God, we have, there's something against us. As you also said in Romans chapter 12, live uh, at peace with everyone as far as, as, far as it is. As far as it goes with you. And so, maybe we need to do that this week, God. Help us to. And help us to trust in you and in your son, Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.